Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. This week we have the privilege of learning together Parsha's Ve'ezchanan in the Arts Scroll Stone Chumash, page 958. As always, we express our gratitude to our series sponsors, Becky and Avi Katz and family, in memory of David Grossman. Our learning is Le'ilu Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Manash, with a huge thank you to the Katz family. Also, housekeeping note, I am going on vacation in Meretz Hashem after Tisha B'Av, which means we are off for several weeks. We will resume the Parsha class August 29th. From now until then, you can listen to the previous years of the Parsha class. You can listen to countless other incredible Torah teachers all over online and offline. And I encourage you to take advantage of those opportunities. Stay tuned if you're not yet part of the Parsha Perspective WhatsApp group for bonus divrei Torah, Parsha Perspective write-ups, schedule and links, and more information so you are up to date. Parsha's Vazchanan, page 958. Parsha begins, We know the Parsha continues. This monologue, the soliloquy of Moshe Rabbeinu, and Moshe mentions, Moshe tells us how he turned to Hashem, and over and over and over again, he implored Hashem, he begged Hashem, he desperately, desperately asked Hashem to reconsider like a child who relentlessly says to the parent, please, 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 I want to, you have to, give me, let me, and he was unwilling to give up. This is one of the synonyms we have for tefillah, and it is one of the forms of tefillah that we have, which on the one hand very much feels like badgering Hashem, he's unkind to Hashem, and on the other hand, to a certain degree, it's what Hashem wants, it's what he encourages and invites us to do because it means we believe, we're demonstrating that we believe he's in charge, he's in control, he decides. And it shows our, our uh, relentless desire for something, our unwillingness to give up. We spoke about this at length in previous years, Ve'ezchanan, from the Lashan Matnas Chinam, asking Hashem, even if we're undeserving, give us graciously, generously, give us a Matnas Chinam as a gift nonetheless, even if we don't have the merit or we are undeserving. But Moshe Rabbeinu asked over and over and over again, how many times in total? 515 times. When did this tefillah begin? When did Moshe begin this relentless, badgering, muttering, nudging HaKadosh Baruch Hu over and over again? Rav Pinkas in his Sharon B'Tefillah describes this is one of the modes, the models, this is one of the forms of tefillah that we follow, that we emulate. This va'eschanan, over and over to Hashem. So when did this begin? And the Yotzeplaz HaTorah quotes that we find in Chazal and among the Achronim, many different opinions, when Moshe began this process. One opinion is from the Medrash and Vayikar Rabbah says, Rabbi Levi Omar, All seven days of Adar, from Rosh Chodesh Adar until the seventh. Why did he stop on the seventh? He died. That was his Yeritzite. That's why. On the seventh day, So seven days. Seven days of passionate, heartfelt tefillah. Seven days Moshe beseeched and implored and begged over and over again. And on the seventh day, the day that would be his Yeritzite, Hashem said no. So it sounds like from the Medrash that all 515 tefillahs were offered when? From Rosh Chodesh Adar? until the seventh of Adar, for seven days. The Sefer Zechel Adavid, Kosov Tam Nifla Madu Hizcha Moshe Lispal Barosh Chodesh Adar. Why specifically did he start then? Because Moshe Rabbeinu both was born and died on the seventh of Adar, but, this is an interesting fact, you may not have known, that a person's birth 
does not begin on when they're born, nor does it begin necessarily when their mother started to have contractions. The neshama already gets ready for the exit, to depart. You know, some people get to the airport very early. The neshama gets to the airport seven days before takeoff, seven days before departure time, seven days before the baby will be born. These were the yom ginusia, the yom huladis shal Moshe. Moshe's birth was seven days long. That mean his mother had an incredible labor? Yes. But it doesn't mean all seven days was active labor, but I don't know if this has any correlation medically today. But seven days before the baby's born, there's already some baby activity going on. Those seven days, the birth experience is a time of ritzoy, of ratzon, of isratzon to Hashem. It's an auspicious time. Hashem is bringing one into the world, decide the world needs that person. So Moshe thought these seven days, maybe for him, Hashem is more predisposed to listen, to answer affirmatively. Maybe Hashem will find favor if he asks over and over. So this first opinion is, when did Moshe offer these 515 philos from Rosh Chodesh Adar until the seventh? There's another opinion, the Chassam Sofer. Chassam Sofer of Moshe Sofer and his drushas says, in the name of his Rebbe, the Bala Fla, that the 515 philos of Moshe were Erev Avoker B'Tzaharayim Ideyom B'Yomo Uvishloshes Atfiloshes Bala Koyom Hizker Ben Bakash Also La'avoras Hayardin He says, it began from Tezayin Nisan, from the, fifth, the 16th of Nisan, every day, three times a day, Moshe davened. And the Chassam Sofer adds that Tfilah Rishona was on Tezayin Nisan, and the 515 ended B'Tfilas Mincha B'Yom Kippur. As Ahmad Moshe Rabbeinu Vizkin Tfilas Ne'ilah Shayom HaKippurim, the 515th Tfilah, says the Chassam Sofer. The final, the final, before the gates closed on Moshe, the final Tfilah he offered was what we know as Ne'ilah of Yom Kippur. Our Ne'ilah, our last call of desperation as the gates are closing, is the 515th Tfilah of Moshe that he authored. That's what the Pasuk means, says the Chassam Sofer. I implored Hashem, in that time. What's the in that time? At what time? What was the special time? What was the in that time that he implored him? Says the Chassam Sofer, I implored Hashem, in that time. And what was the in that time? Ne'ilah. This auspicious time of Ne'ilah, this holiest time of Ne'ilah, the Ne'ilah that makes the walls of this incredible Rand sanctuary shake and vibrate and rock. That Ne'ilah was introduced by Moshe Rabbeinu. It was his 515th Tefillah. Azai Zakta Chassam Sofer. That is the second opinion. There's a third opinion. Chassam Sofer quotes as well that Moshe began to daven on the 21st of Nisan, which corresponds with seventh day of Pesach. Miriam died on the 10th of Nisan. All seven days of mourning for her, the Be'er did not, the well did not dry up until the 17th of Nisan. They went three days without water. And the water came out on the 21st of Nisan, which was the seventh day of Pesach. And that was, You are not bringing them in. So when Hashem told him, Moshe, you're not bringing them in, Moshe said, you're on. Now I'm going to daven hard. Now I'm going to daven hard. And therefore the 515th Tfilos ended when? The second day of Sukkot, Shacharis. 
So Sam Sofer has this other opinion. It went from the seventh of Pesach till the second day of Sukkot. Don't ask me over and over again. So it could be this Eschanan is incredible. I don't know why I never my whole life thought about we all know Vaeschanan, Gematria, 515, Moshe Rabbeinu, Davin relentlessly over and over. He muttered and nagged and he, and he over and over again. But over what? In one day? In one sitting? Over one week? Over how long? Over the amount of time it took for the Banalog of Sefer Devarim? That was 36 days. So the Chassam Sofer, again, so far we saw it was seven days. Rosh Chodesh Adar till the seventh of Adar. It's the Medrash. Second opinion from the Balafla that from the, seventh, the 16th of Nisan is when he began, and it ended Ni'ila of Yom Kippur, the 515th Tefillah Moshe composed Ni'ila of Yom Kippur. A third opinion, Lechsam Sofer, it went from the seventh day of Pesach until the second day of Sukkot. The true is based of Rohm, has another opinion. When did Moshe's Tefillahs begin? On Tubav, the 15th of Av. What happened on that day? Yom Shekalu Bo Mesei Midbar. It was when those who were destined to die in the desert stopped dying. Amar Moshe, so they would all, right, they dug their own graves, they lied down in it. If they got up on the 15th of Av, they knew it was not yet their time. This was the last go-around, and those who got up, got up. So Moshe Rabbeinu said to himself, if these, this generation was all supposed to be wiped out before they entered the land, and if those who found a reprieve and those who got another chance were able to get up and climb out of their grave, maybe I can too. Maybe if I keep davening, I can undo this gzera. I can reverse this decree and go into the land. So, Tubav, the 15th of Av, he began. He davened every day to be able to enter the land. He davened for 172 days, other than Shabbos and Yontif, because you're not allowed to offer bakasha on those days. So, from Tubav until Zion Adar, 515 tefillahs. So again, and there are other opinions as well, but Lutzer Plus Torah collects these. When did he offer? This is a classic case where we study Chumash, and we know something to be true. He offered many tefillahs. When? How? Where? Why? What precipitated? Why did he choose those days? And so on and so forth. Other fascinating, uh, other fascinating ideas that come out from his having offered these 515 tefillahs. The Balaturim says, Va'eschanan in Gematria is... 515, you know what else it is? Shira. Shama lafan of Shira Kedeshi Yishma Tfilaso. Moshe Rabbeinu did not just recite his prayers. Some people open a sitter. Some people, even in their own words, they recite. They say. I forgot which tzaddik we quote every year before. Slichos. You know, they'll talk about, when are you, which, which minion, when are you saying Slichos? By, if you want to really butcher the English language, by you, when do they say Slichos? It's an act of murder to the English language. <laughs> By you, when do they say slichos? So the tzaddikim say, we don't say slichos. You don't say slichos. You, you beseech, you cry out, you call out, you heartfelt, sincere, authentic. So the Balaturim says, Moshe didn't just say the tefillah. If a person gets a diagnosis, if a person feels there's a terminal situation, if a person is in an urgent crisis, if a person is trying to avert a catastrophe, they don't say a prayer. You don't say a prayer. You cry out, you call out with desperation, with urgency, or with song. So, This word is the same gematria as prayer, without a yud, and shira, tefillah and shira. 
And what do you see from here? You should daven to Hashem with a shtickle sing song. You gotta have a niggin. Don't just say the davening. You don't just say the davening like it's a burden. You're unburdening yourself, like you're reading some bad script and you're the worst actor on the planet. You don't just say davening. You sing davening. You call out. You cry out davening. It has to reflect internally what we're feeling. We're not just taking some template, some script, and we're reciting it because it's the checklist of things I have to do. I take this prescription. I go to this place. I go there. I do this. Oh, and check. I said the davening. I said my davening. You don't say your davening, you sing your davening. You feel your davening, you emote your davening. You call out your davening. And that's Moshe Rabbeinu. Ve'eschanan is begematria tefila and begematria shira. Because for a tefila to be real, it's gotta be a shira. Sometimes it's a shira, sometimes it's a happy sing song. Sometimes you got great news. Sometimes you're celebrating something wonderful. Sometimes you woke up and you're alive and that's enough for you to no, you're going to have a great day. So you sing your tefillah. Other days you're desperate. There's urgency. There's, you need a Kodesh Baruch Hu, And so you're singing out tefillah. You're, you're crying out with a sense of song. But it always has to be with a song. It shouldn't sound like a library. A shul's minion shouldn't sound like a library. Shh, it's a library. Shh, shh. Everybody's saying they're davening. Shh. They're saying it to themselves. No, a minion should be. You ever daven in Carlin Stolen? Ravana Karliner left in his tzava. One of the things he said about davening, first he said, if you're not early to davening, you're late. If you're not on time, don't bother coming. The Karlin Stolen based Medrash, if you're not on time to davening, don't bother coming. Then he said that you daven quickly. It's a very, very interesting, a fascinating minion. Unfire Hasidim, davening so fast like a runaway train. Why? Because he felt the best shot you have of concentrating the whole time is not if you schlep it out and slow and boring and you're distracted. Boom, 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 boom. I could focus for that. And the third thing he says is you should scream the tefillah at the top of your lungs. It'll keep you awake and alive and come from your heart. So you got to get there early. Their davening is early. I went and give Zev, the base medrash with the Rebbe. And they're screaming at the top of their lungs. It wakes you up in the morning. They're screaming. It's quick. And you got to get there early. For some people, it's an ideal davening, at least parts of it. So you got to scream it out. It shouldn't sound like a library. Shash, tell, quiet, shh, shh. People are saying they're davening here. You got to sing out and scream out and call out your davening. When the karbonos were offered, the levim accompanied it with song. The youths call out with song. Our davening takes the place of a carbon. If the carbon was accompanied by the Levim song, then our davening has to be accompanied with song. You have to sing out, you have to cry out, it has to be alive. I'll tell you a skula for being able to do this. You listening carefully? You ready for the skula? Have a cup of coffee before davening. <laughs> if you roll out of bed and you're still half asleep and you're falling apart and the crust of your eyes has not yet been removed, and you're just going to say your davening. But if you wake up early, I'll give you a little plug for our kola boker, 6.15 a.m. And many bring this down, the notion of learning before davening. Learning before davening has a lot of value. The quality of your davening is different. You're on time to davening if you're learning at the shul before davening. And you're awake. And by the time you've davened, you're already in a conversation with Hashem. Learning Torah is Hashem talking to us. And davening is our talking to Him. 
So if you learn before you daven, you already spent some time listening to what Hashem has to say to you, and now you're ready to talk to Him, it changes your davening altogether. So whether you do it in our kola boker, whether you do it at home, whether you do it listening to something online, learn before davening, it's a big Indian to be able to turn your tefillah into a shira. Va'eschanan gamatria tefillah, va'eschanan gamatria shira, turn your davening into a shira. Rabbi Salavitchik, I want to share with you from Rav Salavitchik. Rav Salavitchik says the following, va'eschanan. When he was told that he would not enter Eretz Yisrael, Moshe pleaded for forgiveness. Had the people joined him in tefillah, listen to this point, this Rav is beautiful. And it's appropriate, Davka, as we are on the brink, on the cusp, of Tisha B'Av, Mitzvah Shem we should be in Yerushalayim. But this week, and a Shabbos Nachemu to follow, listen to this teaching. Had the people joined him in tefillah, the Rebona Shalom would have been forced to respond. But they did not. Thus we read with tears in his eyes, we read that with tears in his eyes, Moshe tells them, Va'eschanan. Now what's the significance of Va'eschanan? What did he not say? He did not say, Va'nishanan. What does Vanishanan mean? We davened. He turned to them and he said, you know how I got you out of every sticky situation? You know how I had your back your entire lives? You know how I saved you countless times? You know how I davened and I pleaded and I begged and I got you off the hook over and over again? Well, once Hashem told me I wasn't going in, Vaeschanan, not Vanishanan. I, I was all alone. I was, we, we had a big Tehillim rally that I should be able to go into Eretz Yisrael. And you know who showed up? Me, myself, and I. Says Moshe, I was the only one there. I was the only one who opened the Tehillim for me. When it came to you, I had your back. For me, and the decree against me, and Hashem's decision about me, and my fate, va'eschanan, not vanischanan. You could get emotional, you could cry for Moshe. When you think about it, this leader who gave up his family, who gave up everything for these people, and in his moment, in his time, when he needed them, I was lonely, solitary, prayerful person. I daven, no one else joined in with me. But Hashem became angry, He didn't listen to me. Because of you. Moshe did not enter at Israel because instead of addressing the rock, he hit it. Not the fault of Am Yisrael that Moshe made a mistake, but that the people possessed the sensitivity and the love for Moshe, similar to that love that Moshe felt for them, that decree would have been torn to shreds. It was their fault, l'ma'anchem. Last week's parsha, we, in fact, we asked the question last week. Why does Moshe Rabbeinu blame Klal Yisrael? Because of you, I also wasn't allowed to go in. Rashi says he's talking there about the Meraglim. Because of what you did with the Meraglim, I couldn't go in. And we asked last week, what? You didn't get to go in because of Memeriva. You hit the rock instead of speaking to it. What are you playing the blame game? And the Ramban, the Orachai, we went through all these different interpretations of what Moshe Rabbeinu meant. In our parsha again, he says... Yet again, he says, Lama'anchem, because of you. So if Salavetchik is teaching, he's interpreting, what is Lama'anchem? What does Moshe mean? Because of you, I didn't get to go in. Not because of you, the original decree. The decree was on me, says Moshe. I hit the rock instead of speaking to it. I lied, the decree was because of me. But what is your fault? Because if you would have showed up to that Tehillim gathering, if you would have poured out your hearts, if you would have had me in mind, then the decree would have been torn to shreds. Kodesh Baruch would have let me in. L'ma'anchem. You didn't have my back the way I had yours. In the list of mitzvahs before Hilchas Tanios, the Rambam says the section contains one mitzvah. Right? There's a header before the mitzvahs. And the Rambam, Hilchas Tanios, in the laws of fast days, the Rambam says there's one mitzvah in here. And that is he, Litzok. 
to cry out to Hashem in times of dangers, in the Hakdama to Hilchas Tanios. Then in Hilchas Tanios, in the Halachas itself, Perak Aleph Halacha Aleph, Zoktar Rambam, he repeats the mitzvah, but instead of saying the mitzvah is Litzok with a Tzadi, he says the mitzvah is Lizok with a Zion. He changes the Tzadi into a Zion. Says the Rav, such a slight variation, sometimes unnoticeable, always intrigued me and still does. What is the distinction? What is the difference between Liz Oak and Litz Oak? Fascinating. The Rambam doesn't do anything by accident. If he changed that one letter, he did it for a reason. So is the fast day about Litz Oak, as it says in the introduction, or is the fast day about Liz Oak, as it says in the Halacha proper? Sedrav Soloveitchik. Litz Oak with a tzadi means to protest. A certain woman, the wife of one of the sons of the prophets, tsa'aka to Elisha. In Malachim Bey's Parak Dalad, the Navi tells us that there was a certain woman, the wife of one of the Neviim, she was tsa'aka to Elisha. She didn't yell at Elisha, but complained to him. The word lizok has an additional connotation of mobilizing, assembling, congregating. There are many passages in the Torah where the term is meant in the sense of prayer, as well as summons addressed to others to do likewise and to join. For example, the best example, Vayizak ze'aka gedola umara. He cried with alarm, with a bitter cry. Where's that? Where's that pasuk? Vayizak ze'aka gedola umara. Megillas, Esther. Mordechai didn't do that because he became hysterical. He cried out with alarm, with a bitter cry. Why does it say that? Vayizak ze'ak, with a zayin. He wasn't hysterical. What was he doing? It was a phone tree, it was a mass text, it was an email. He was calling the community to join him in tefillah. Another example. Vayizak el Hashem kol halayla. Shmuel Aleph. Shmuel summons the people to join him in tefillah for Shaul. Had the people done so, the wrath of Hashem would have been mitigated. Shaul wouldn't have lost the kingdom. The people didn't respond. So Vayizak with a Zion is no, everybody gather, everybody come together. We're having a Tehillim gathering. Zeaka expresses the love of the individual for the community and the dedication of the community to the individual. A solitary person davens in isolation, silently, in complete privacy. Tefillah is the monologue of the individual who stands before the Almighty who is the one God, an individual in the absolute sense of the word. Ze'aka, on the other hand, means that I exist only within the community, within the many. My existence is justified because I feel love for the community. I get involved with Tzibor. I summon the Tzibor to daven with me. Not lehispalel before Hashem, but lizok before Him. It's totally different. The individual's tefillah on their own versus the individual who blends into a community and a community that gathered and a community that comes together and a community that complements one another and the community comes not lehispalel to daven as individuals one plus one plus one plus one but a community takes on a new identity it is a new entity and it offers a new type of tefillah and that is lizok to cry out to cry out after the chait of the chait um, egal. When Moshe davened for the community for 40 days in succession, Hashem tolerated his intercession on behalf of the community. Indeed, he granted atonement to the people. On this occasion, when, however, when Moshe tried to daven to Hashem, Hashem stopped him in the middle. When Moshe davened was recited in the plural, all the gates were open, and Hashem allowed him to intercede for the many. But when Moshe changed Va'eschanan to the singular, when no one else showed up, the gates were closed, and loving kindness was slammed in his face. Hashem rejected the tefillah. The halacha has taught the individual to include fellow man in prayer. The individual must not limit himself to his own needs, no matter how pressing those needs are and how distinguished he is. Halacha has formulated tefillah in the plural. 
there's hardly a tefillah which avails itself of the grammatical singular. Even private tefillos, such as those offered on the occasion of sickness, death, or other crises, are recited in the plural. For example, hamakam yenachem eschem, even if there's one person sitting shiva. The Gemara Shabbos says that when one visits the sick, Rabbi Yehuda taught, you say, may Hashem have mercy on you and besoch sha'ach Yisrael. Rashi their comments, through inclusion of others, your tefillah is heard for the sake of the many. The Medrash states that had the community joined Moshe in his tefillah, Hashem would have granted their quest. He would not have rejected the tefillah for the many. Unfortunately, the community didn't understand the secret of tefillah. As a consequence of their ignorance, Moshe died in the Midbar. The word ve'eschanan implies supplication. The name for tachanun is derived from the same word as ve'eschanan. Right, the root of ve'eschanan is tachanun. The idea that we can make no claim that we deserve to have our request fulfilled, we have no merits, we recite the tefillah, nefillah sapayim, tachanun like ve'eschanan is a matneschinam, we're undeserving, so we fall on our arm and we desperately daven to Hashem to help us nonetheless. This image that the Rav paints is powerful and it's painful, but it's also a reminder for all of us, both as individuals, not to try to go at it alone, not to try to suffer in silence or solitude, but as Chazal tell us, that we should let others know about our ailments and predicaments, and we should invite others to daven for us. Because the tefillahs of the Rabbim, when people unite in tefillah, when they call out, when together they are lizog, za'aka gedola, when they call out, it is heard, it is accepted, it is received entirely differently. But it's also our responsibility as a community to show up. Is there, is there a more painful description than Moshe Rabbeinu? He's all alone. He calls the Tehillim gathering. He starts a Tehillim WhatsApp group and he says, okay, someone take a few Tehillim. He gives out the booklets and no one takes one. He's all alone. They don't show up, they don't have his back the way he has theirs. It's va'eschanan, not va'nischanan. And that's why, that's why it's big lachem. That's why it's their fault because they left him all alone. And that's why it was not received. It wasn't, he wasn't answered. It's a beautiful Kedusha's Levi. Brought down in the, in the Imros Tahoros. Kedushas Levi says the following, The Gemara tells us, when it comes to smichas ge'ula we say Gal Yisrael, and right after we say Gal Yisrael, boom, we go into the Amidah. But I thought we say Hashem Sfasai Tiftach before we begin the Amidah. The Amidah proper begins with the first bracha, which is Avos, Baruch Ata Hashem. We introduce it with Hashem Sfasai Tiftach, Ufiyagiti Lasacha. So isn't that an interruption between Geula and Tefillah? To which the Gemara concludes, The truth is, it is ancillary. It does complement the Tefillah. It's not part of the Tefillah proper. But since its significance as a prelude, it is as if it's a Tefillah Arichta. It is a prolonged, elaborated Tefillah. So one does the Kedushas Levi what kind of an answer was this? Why didn't we just answer? If it's a tefila arichta, just say, what? It's tefila. In other words, why is Hashem's Fasai Tiftach not an interruption between Geula, Ga, Yisrael, and tefila? The answer should have been because it is. It's tefillah. It's not an interruption because it's tefillah. We didn't answer that. The Gemara answered, ah, it's a tefillah richta. 
it, it's an extension of tefillah. It's the prelude to tefillah. What's a prelude to tefillah? What's an extension of tefillah? What is a tefillah, a richta, as opposed to just tefillah? The same Anshe Knesset Agadola who authored the Amida are the ones who instituted saying Hashem Sasaiti Tach first. So call that tefillah. Why call it a tefillah, a richta? It's a little bonus sitter snippet for you because we're already past this in the Amida. So listen to what Rav Levi Yitzchak says based on our parsha. Hashem Sasaiti Tiftach. Hashem is part of tefillah, but not part of tefillah. It's part of davening in that we're offering it and saying it to Hashem, singing it to Hashem. But it's also not part of tefillah, it's the introduction to tefillah, because what is it that we're davening for? We're davening that the davening go well. Hashem Hashem opened my lips. Let this davening go well, smoothly. Let me articulate the words. Let me be focused on their meaning. Let me be present in this conversation. Let them be heard and received well. Let you find favor in responding to them. Before we begin the conversation with Hashem, before we daven, we daven about the davening, we're about to daven to Hashem. Before we daven, you know, like the speakers say, before I speak, I'd like to say a few words. Before I daven, I'd like to daven a little bit. Before I daven, I'd like to daven that I should be able to daven. That my davening be a davening. It sounds funny, but it makes sense. The truth is, if you know where it comes from, it makes even more sense. Where do these words Hashem Sosai Tiftach come from? Tehillim, I think Nun Beis. It's a capital where David HaMelech is being held accountable by Nasan Navi for the Maisa with Batsheva. Now the truth is, the Gemara tells us that anyone who says David was Chotei and Elatoa, you're making a mistake. Don't oversimplify the situation between David and Bathsheba. But David HaMelech himself says, David says about himself, I made a terrible mistake. And here in this capital, David is owing up to the mistake. He is receiving the rebuke for the mistake he says he made. And there we have this Pasuk. Hashem Hashem opened my lips. It's as if David HaMelech is saying, Hashem, I goofed, I messed up. I really, really blew it. And I'm so far away from you. And I feel so inadequate. And I don't know that you even want to hear from me. I don't know that you'll even receive me. I don't know that I can find the words how to say I'm sorry. So Hashem's Fasai Tiftach, before I approach you to try to reconcile, before I approach you to try to repair, Hashem's Fasai Tiftach, help me find the right words. I daven that this conversation go well. Did you ever have to have a difficult conversation with someone you love, you care about in business? to repair and reconcile or to break up or end a relationship, you daven that you find the right words. You daven that the conversation go well. That's Hashem Sosai Tiftach. Says the Kedushas Levi, that is tefillah arichta. It's not part of tefillah because it's the prelude, the introduction to tefillah. Hashem, let it go well, let it go smoothly, give me the right words, let me find the right thing to say. It's the prelude, it's the introduction. But it's not a hefseg between gula and tefillah because it is the license to tefillah. It's the key to open the lips to start tefillah. Says Levi, it's like Moshe Rabbeinu. He didn't need to dive and let it go smoothly. It was Moshe Rabbeinu. It was Medaber Pem Pem Hashem. Nobody had greater access. Nobody had more comfort with Hashem. He didn't need to. Mamela, he didn't have to say this special tefillah before tefillah, I daven that I daven well. He never needed that, except here. Why? 
Because over and over and over, it was no, 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 no. So it wasn't working, it wasn't flowing, it wasn't happening. Says Rav Levi Yitzchak, in this circumstance, in this moment, when it comes to this thing, where I keep getting no, 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 so, he davened to Hashem this time. What was the tefillah? Lemor, give me the words to say. In that moment, what was the tefillah he offered? Lemor, help me find the right words. You're going into a difficult conversation. You're going into a complicated negotiation. You're going into some conversation which is critical and crucial and really important and you're concerned about it, you could daven to Hashem about that moment in conversation, lay more, when it comes to these words, Hashem, give me the words, give me the right words to say. And what did he say? Continuing. Let me pass over, let me come into this land, let me see this land. Hashem, please, so desperate, yearning. Lotzapalosa Torah has a collection here of midrashim. Moshe expressed his desperation to go into the land. He didn't say, and if it's okay, I'd like to go first class, and I'd like to stay only in the Waldorf, and I'd like to be upgraded to a suite, and I want the continental breakfast, and that driver with the limo, please have prepared for me, and I want to be able to go to Eretz Yisrael, only the way, I want also the VIP, when I land, they take me right around, I don't want to wait on, that's how I want to go. For some who are blessed after 2,000 years to go, that's the only way they want to go. If I can get the VIP, if I qualify for the upgrade, if I can have the... You know how Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to go? Listen to this. The Medrash Dvaram Rabbah tells us, his chuka, his yearning, his thirst, his insatiable desire. Let me just get into, let me just start a, let me put a toe, let me put a foot, let me just be on that holy land. Whatever it takes, let me pass over, let me enter into the land, let me see it. Let me go in like an animal. Let me go in like an animal. I don't know if he means reincarnated like an animal. Let me go in on all fours and just eat from the grass of the field. If I can't go in in the Waldorf to be upgraded to the suite, I'm happy to go in like a cow. I'm happy to go in like a cat in Yerushalayim in a dumpster. Let me go in like a bird. If I can't let my feet touch the ground of Eretz Yisrael, at, let, at least let me like a drone, a bird, let me fly over, let me see it from the air. Kosh says, Rav Lach, stop asking. The answer is still no. The Torah's Mincha quotes another Medrash. Let me swim in. Let me come in, in the ocean. Let me come in from the sea. Let me come up the river. Let me at least see it. Anyway, just let me in, get me in any way I can. Anyway, I'll take it anyway. Anyway, over and over. The Megala Mukos, Parshas, Anar Parsha. Let me be reincarnated, transmigrate my soul into some other creature. 
I don't need to come in with dignity. I don't even need to come in as a human being. I don't need to be upgraded. Put me underneath with the luggage, like in a dog, in a, in a box. However it takes, I'll get there, whatever it takes, however it takes. The Divra Yam Shamash Rabbeinu, Sefer called Divra Yam Shamash Rabbeinu, I never heard of the Sefer. A Sefer Agada. The quotes also plus a Torah heard of, of course. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu said, Amolau, Ribbonu Shalom, Hanicheni Akanfei Ha'ananam Keshir Gimel Parsos Lamalam in Ayardin. I'll come in on the clouds. Let me ride the clouds. Let me at least look down 30,000 feet. Anything. Let me put my feet on. Let me be an animal. Let me be a bird. Let me be a fish. Let me be a drone. Let me go on the clouds. Sefer Divra Yama quotes another, Ribbonu Shalom. Chop me up in pieces. Let me go in my limbs in pieces to be buried there. As if I, and then it won't be that you violated your, you said I can't go in. So it will be that I didn't go in whole, but if you let me go in chopped in pieces and be buried there, at least I got in. Or the binam le'ita, bina le'itim, quotes another, ebrana ve'ereh, he said, fine, I can't live there. I can't settle there. I can't make Aliyah and bring the people there. Uh, let me just go for an hour. Let me go in and out. Let me just come one night. Evrana ve'ere. means let me see it. Let me just go for one night. Let me just see it. And he goes on and on and on. He quotes many others. Moshe Rabbeinu was desperate. Why do I share that? Because it shows the chuka, the love, the yearning, the thirst the magnetic draw that Moshe Rabbeinu had for Eretz Yisrael. And here we are. Here we are on the cusp. We're in the Shavu Shachalbo Tishabov. There are legitimate reasons not to make Aliyah. But there's no legitimate reason not to be struggling with and planning for when we'll make Aliyah. The question is not if, but when. We should have that yearning for the land. We should be uncomfortable where we are. We should want, like Moshe Rabbeinu, and not insist on all the upgrades and all the comforts and all the luxuries and all the protexia and all the, however we can get there. What a gift, what a privilege, what a blessing, and what a time that we're living in that we can go. We have to be grateful so we don't lose it. And we have to transform that gratitude and that yearning to take a little piece, a sliver of Moshe Rabbeinu's chuka ourselves to be able to fulfill that, not if, but when. Parak Dalet Pasuk Vav. Torah now continues. We mentioned last week, Sefer Dvarim is the greatest Musr Sefer that we have. If you take Dvarim, then Shuvu Hashem, you're going to do Tshuva. So now we get to some of the Musr. Now, Jewish people, listen to the Chukim Mishpatim that I'm teaching you so that you live. You want to live? If you live absent Torah and mitzvahs, you might have a pulse, but you're not alive. You're just struggling through this world. You want to really be alive? You want to touch immortality? You want to touch eternity? You want to really be alive? Then, then you have to be not only observing, you have to be listening. I'll tell you a shot in this pasuk I just thought of in this moment. Right now. Right now. What do you mean, you don't listen to chukim and mishpatim. What do you do with them? You perform them. You act on them. You behave with them. They regulate your life, your lifestyle. V'yatai Yisrael, it should say, now Klai Yisrael, you listening? Listen closely. Step up. It's time to live like Torah Jews. Observe Torah law. He doesn't say, he says, Shema, listen. Why listen? Why listen? 
because I think it's not enough to observe. There are many people who live checklist Judaism. Check, check, shacharis, check, eh, check, eh, kinos, I said, check, blow the shofar, check, let the check, let the can, put on the tefillin, check, 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 check. Were you present? Did you hear those mitzvahs screaming out to you? Do you understand the panemius, the depth of each of these mitzvahs? Did you take advantage of the invitation, the opportunity to connect with the divine? Did they speak to you and who you should be and what your mission is? Shema, are you listening to the mitzvahs? What made me think of this right now? Because this just jarred a thought. Listen to the chukim mishpatim. What do we say every single morning? In between Shema, when we stand up for the Shemona Esrei, what do we say in Israel, Yisrael? What do we say? Wow. You know who's blessed? You know who's fortunate? You know who's lucky? Ashrei. You know who? Yishma If you hear the mitzvahs talking to you, if the mitzvahs are calling out to you, if the mitzvahs are calling your name, if the mitzvahs are telling you their profundity and their depth, if the mitzvahs speak to you, wow, that's our life, that's our mission, that's our purpose. Not just to perform them perfunctory, not just to observe them or do them, but to hear them, to listen to them. Only then are you alive. You could do everything on the outside right. You could live the checklist Judaism on the outside but you're not alive unless you're listening to the mitzvahs. And that's the reminder, not just in Parshas V'Eschanan, but every day when we daven. Don't just do them. Listen to them. They're talking to you. The tefillin are talking to you. They're saying, give me a kiss. Know the Parshas that are inside. Understand why you're binding your arm, your heart, and your head. Why are you putting this animal hide how are you elevating and trend? Listen to it. You're lighting the Shabbos candles. Don't just say, oh, I got it. The kugel's still not on. The guy's at the table. This kid's still not ready yet. Listen to the Shabbos candles talking to you. They're calling your name. And they're saying, bask in my light. Feel the warmth of these candles. Daven for your children. Illuminate the world. Every mitzvah is calling out to us. It's speaking to us. Shema lachukim. Only then lamantech you. Only then are you alive. Okay? That's my own interpretation. I never say original thoughts. You're not supposed to say, Shech Yonah Shavuah Shechalbo. I hope it's okay, I just had an original thought. But it was an original thought. Shema lachukim al mishpat al mantichyu and asher yishe yishma lemitzvah secha. Perek Talat Pasuk Vav. Turning the page. Continuing on this theme. Mushmarta ma'asisam ki'ichach ma'aschemu binaschem al'inei amim asher yishmunas ka'achukim ha'ele ve'amru rakim am chacham ha'avon ha'goy ha'gadol ha'zeh. Pasuk Vav. Torah tells us, safeguard and perform them. It is your wisdom and discernment in the eyes of the people who will hear these decrees and will say, surely a wise and discerning people is this great nation. I decided not to share with you, but Dota Plus Torah has a long discussion over here on this Pasuk about the wisdom and the genius of Torah, that everything really is in the Torah and from the Torah. Observe and keep Chachmah, because this is the Chachmah and Bina Le'enei Ha'amim. Among the nations of the world, they'll find it all in Torah. And then he goes on, he has a whole essay. Torah and our tradition knew the truths of science and even technology before the world. You say, what are you talking about? You know what he's talking about? He collected Otsa Torah. We, the Torah knew the world was round even long before Columbus, Copernicus, this one, that one. We already had the tradition, Torah sources are already referenced, the Torah is round. We had 
X-ray. X-ray. We had X-ray before the Torah. The ability to see inside the bones. He quotes all this from the Munkatcher. We have, he goes through all these Cheshbanat Kufos, um, going, seeing from space, technology. He has all these examples where science only caught up with Torah. You see from this Pasuk. But I wanted to go a different direction. And that is from Rav Soloveitchik. Rav Soloveitchik number two. And you should keep them and do them. This is your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the people. The Torah was not given to the non-Jews directly, but Hashem has offered to all of mankind indirectly as a promise, a vision, an eschatological expectation, the ultimate end of history. The Torah was given to us so many millennia ago. Our task was and still is to teach the Torah to mankind, to influence the non-Jewish world, to redeem it, from its orgiastic way of living, from cruelty and insensitivity to arouse in mankind a sense of justice and fairness. In a word, we are to teach the world the Sheva Mitzvahs that are binding on every human being. This Pasuk Sedra of Soloveitchik is the motto and mission statement of a Jew, that the Torah is not meant for the Jewish people alone. Don't hide in the corner and don't live so insular and don't only worry about ourselves, our fate and our destiny. The Torah was given for us to repair and redeem Hashem's world, to be able to redeem mankind, to teach. And I don't know a time that the world needed the values and principles of Torah more than now. I don't know a time it needed it more than now. I sometimes, you know, if you look online, Rav Manus Friedman, his teachings are watched. The numbers are outrageous. A million and a half people saw, a million people listen to this video, hundreds of thousands listen to this. So I was talking to one of the people who helps him disseminate his Torah, and he said, yeah, the majority of the audience are non-Jews. He's talking about the wisdom of marriage and of parenting and of happiness and of life. He's taking Torah and he's expressing it in a vocabulary and making it accessible to the world. And that's our mission. That's our purpose. That's what we're here to do. Now, Torah, you're not allowed to teach a non-Jew. Torah Shabbat, you're not allowed to teach a non-Jew. That's meant for the Jewish people. In fact, one of the big discussions and debates around the translation of Shas, when Art Scroll translated Shas, we take for granted today, Art Scroll finished Bavli, now they finished Yerushalmi, now they're going through Taisus. Art Scroll, mamish, unbelievable what Art Scroll puts out. But if you look at the very first volume of the very first printing, I think it was Makos, when they started to translate Shas, you'll find the Haskamas, the Gedolei Yisrael wrote, and they gathered from everyone they could. You know why? There were people very opposed. They said, what are you doing? It's going to be in the Library of Congress. It's going to be in secular libraries. Any non-Jew now can open up our Gemara, our Shas, and access our Torah that's supposed to be Baal It's an Aramaic, and it's written in such a complicated way that requires to still have a Rebbe. And now you translated it and simplified it, and you made it accessible to the masses. It was incredibly controversial, and there were those who were opposed to it. And it was very bold of Art Scroll to push through and look at the gift it's given the world, but it's not Pashat. Because Torah Shabbat is meant for Jews alone. But Torah Shabbat Sav, it's for the whole world. That's why it's in the dresser at every hotel room. And, and certainly the Shev Mitzvah B'nai Noach, the Rebbe Zatzal had major campaigns to teach and promote the observance of Shev Mitzvah B'nai Noach. The world is upside down and backwards. They don't know, def, they don't know basic biological definitions. We are reinterpreting basic institutions and policies and principles. The world is increasingly confused 
and not recognizable. And now more than ever, we should not shy away. We should share with the world proudly and non-defensively and unapologetically what we stand for. Why? Because our Torah, look at this Pasuk. Our Torah is the Chachma and the Bina Le'ene Ha'amim. They should find you online and offline, at work and in the supermarket. And they should say, oh, that Jew taught me everything about marriage and about parenting and about life and about generosity and about health and about mental health and about... We've been assigned another mission, continues with the Rav, to be the message carrier and mentor not only of the Shev Mitzvahs that apply to the descendants of Noah, to the human race as a whole, but also a total outlook on life, the entire moral system to which Jews are committed. The non-Jewish world is expected to take note of the Torah life we lead, to admire our ways, our customs, and our mores, our mishpatim and chukim, our rational and non-rational. The Jew must stand out in society as exemplars. Our way of life must impress and attract people and fascinate their curiosity. You know, there's a, a podcast about Jews and money which I would think is a terrible name for a podcast. What's it called? Maybe that's what it's called. Anyone know what I'm talking about here? Also, millions of views. You know the audience who's listening? It's non-Jews. In Korea, in China. Why? Because they think, oh, if you want to make a lot of money, you know who's smart and good at it? Now they're tuning in. And that might be a very stereotypical reason, borderline anti-Semitic reason to tune in. But great, they're tuning in because the podcast are Torah personalities sharing a Torah perspective on finance and consumerism and materialism and an approach to life. Fantastic that non-Jews around the world are tuning in to hear the Torah view of these things because we're not meant to hold it back and keep it to ourselves. We should share it with the world. Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, initiated in the messianic process of redeeming the world from its crudity and profanity. Torah was given to the Jew, who was told to disseminate the word of Hashem among pagans, atheists, agnostics, and hedonists, thereby bringing them to their maker. It is a piecemeal, slow movement, and will be consummated into the era of Mashiach, when the mountain of Hashem's house will be established on the top of the mountain. So this Pasuk is a mission statement of Klai Yisrael. And I think we, ought, we bear an awesome responsibility today to step up and to fulfill it. And then the next pasuk continues, pasuk Zayin. Because who, which is a great nation that has Hashem who is close to it, as is Hashem our God whenever we call out to Him. This should be reminiscent of another pasuk authored by David HaMelech that we say every day three times a day. Here Torah Moshe Rabbeinu says, who is like a great nation who call out to Hashem? And who answers us, whenever we call out to him, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, whenever we call out to him, so the Yerushalmi in Brachos darshans this Pasuk in another way. Says, you know, somebody's trying to get your attention. A family member, or an acquaintance, a friend. So, with people, if that person is rich, powerful, influential, then you say, yeah, absolutely, we're related, we're close, sure. If the person is poor, powerless, has no influence, say, eh, leave me alone. I don't know you, we're not related, I don't know what you're talking about. Back away. You pretend you don't even know him. the opposite. A Jew, a Yid, could be on the lowest level, poor, in Torah and Mitzvahs, 
poor in merits and virtues. And Hashem still calls us Lamana Chai V'Rei'ai. Hashem still calls us a Chai V'Rei'ai. Hashem is close to all who call out. He doesn't look at your bank account. He doesn't look at your social stature. Kodesh Baruch doesn't care how many friends or followers you have. Whoever calls out sincerely and genuinely, Hashem says, absolutely, we're a Karov. We're closely related. You have my ear. You can have my time. What do you need? When we call out to Hashem in earnest, we call out to Hashem sincerely, then it doesn't matter what our status is, it doesn't matter who we are, what matters is, l'chol asher yikru'uhu be'emes. It has to be sincere and authentic, and that's all he's looking at. That's the only way that he gauges it. Now I want to share with you a teaching of Rav Weinfeld, Shlita, Rav Weinfeld, Chatzko Weinfeld, the Rav in Ramadashkol, who was here for Shabbos a few months ago, who was fantastic Torah, really beautiful Torah, and I want to share with you this incredible Torah. And then we'll begin the Parsha class, because we barely started. Oy vey. The three Shabbos before Tisha we know are called Gimel de Paranusa. These are the weeks, the three Shabbos that we read the Haftorahs of the Churban. Instead of reading Haftorah, which is Me'ina Parsha, instead of Haftorah from the theme of the Parsha, these three Shabbos that culminated in this past Shabbos Chazon with three Haftorahs that have to do with the destruction. And then, Mirza Shem the Shabbos, we begin the Shiva Dinachemta, the seven Aftoras of comfort and consolation. Now, the Gimel de Puranusa, I understand, because the destruction was coming. We put ourselves in the mood, we study the cause. It makes sense. But the Shiva Dinachemta, this is a classic question. Come this Shabbos, if we have to observe Tishabov, but we get up off the floor Thursday night, and this year, because it's a Thursday night, you may be able to start preparing for Shabbos. And Friday morning in a chatzos, you could turn on the music, and Shabbos will be, ooh, Shabbos nachamu, singles events everywhere, kiddishes everywhere, mass relief of Kla Yisrael, music's back on, back in the pool, everyone will look slick with their haircut and trimmed beard. And one does Rav Weinfeld, as do so many others, what's different? What happened? What changed? Where's the nachama? What comfort? What, what does that mean? Thursday night, the base of Mikdash is coming, Emir Hashem. Friday morning, the base of Mikdash is going to descend from above, Emir Hashem. But even if it doesn't, will it still be Shabbos Nachamu? Yes, but why? Where's the Nachama? Where's the Nachama? A classic question. We've addressed it many times, a classic question. Listen to Rav Weinfeld. The parasha begins with Moshe Rabbeinu Davani to be allowed into Eretz Yisrael, but he's denied. And if you psuk him after he's denied, I never noticed this. And I wonder if any of you have. Listen to this question. Moshe Davin's 515 times, when, over how long, where? We started, uh, feels like a long time ago, but we started this year with that question. When, where, how? Moshe Davin 515 times. And Hashem said, nope, you can't go in. And how does Moshe respond? Who is like the Jewish people, so close to Hashem, they call out whenever they want, and he always answers, yes. I never noticed this question. We just turned the page. We went from 515 times being told no, with finally the door and the gate being slammed shut in his face, no, to a moment later, ooh, it's almost like it's cynical. Who is so great? What nation is so great? They can call out and cry out to Hashem whenever they want? And the answer is yes. How could the continuation of the Pesukim be understood? Because you just dive and the answer was no. And it also has to be understood that after Hashem tells Moshe he's not accepting his request, he tells Moshe, he says, no, but I'll tell you what, climb up on Rosh HaPiskah, 
ושא עיניך ימה וקדמה צפונה ותימנה ומזרחה וראה בעיניך כי לא סבור עשה ירדן הזה. Climb the mountain and look in every direction and you see that over there? Give a cook, give a look. You're not going in. Cruel. It's cruel. Why would he tease Moshe? Why is Hashem, not only can you not go in, I want you to look how good it is. And by the way, you still can't go in. Why would he do that to Moshe? Says Rav Weinfeld to answer these questions. We see that Moshe Rabbeinu's tefillos did not go unanswered. He got a very clear answer. It's not that Moshe wasn't answered. They were answered. And what was the answer? No. But part of that answer is Hashem telling Moshe that even if you don't get where you want to go, or you don't get what you want to get, yearning itself is creating a connection, and that in itself is a partial yes. You didn't get the answer you wanted, but the process of asking over and over brought you closer to me, gave you a greater awareness of me, heightened the relationship and the connection that we have, and that in itself is a yes within your no. When it comes to davening, asher lo elokim krovim love doesn't have to be that a person gets what he's asking for. It's through the tefillah a person makes that connection. When discussing a spiritual objective, a person creates a connection with that spiritual objection through tefillah, by yearning and wanting that objective, even if you never reach it. So even if the answer in the end was no, but the closeness, the connection, the transformation that you underwent was a yes within the no. When Hashem answered Moshe's tefillah with the answer of no and then told him, now climb up and look in every direction, Hashem was telling him to go and see in order to increase his yearning and longing because Moshe's connection with Israel is a belonging through longing. It was, it was specifically through the yearning that he was making that connection. That's what it means, 515 tefillahs, he davened and entered Israel. He was making the connection through the tefillah itself. He didn't get in. If there's someone you love and you daven over and over and over and over for them, do you think you love them the same at the end of the Tehillim that you said for them as you did at the beginning? You love them even more. You love them even more. Tonight, tomorrow, we'll observe the fourth year site of my dear friend, Rabbi Dr. Brian Galbit. It's hard to believe it's four years. And at the end, and from when he was diagnosed on, the amount of Tehillim this community poured out and beyond. And as much as we appreciated and loved him before, at the result of, that was a big no. It was a horrific no. It was one of the worst no's that we've ever gotten. But all those Tehillim and all that davening was not a waste. It was not for naught. It left us closer to Hashem and it left us closer to Brian. And a person pours out their heart. 515 tefillos that Moshe offered to go into Eretz Yisrael, the answer was a no, you can't go in. But it left them feeling closer to Hashem and feeling closer and connected with Eretz Yisrael. With Eretz Yisrael. It was a belonging through longing. That's Rav Weinfeld's language. A belonging through longing. It wasn't a belonging through entering, but it was a belonging through longing. The Pasuk says, Simple meaning is, Hashem became angry. But the Meshach Ochma has a different interpretation. Moshe wanted to enter to throw the build base of Mekdash and do the Gemar HaTikun. He wanted to complete the Tikun Kla Yisrael needed. Moshe Rabbeinu's desire to enter the land was nothing to do with the physical pleasure. He wanted the spiritual heights attainable only in Eretz Yisrael. But Hashem was showing him that the time had not yet come for the ultimate redemption. It was not time. It was not time. Vayisaber is from the word over, expressing that in the middle of pregnancy, in Uber, it would be premature to have the baby. Imagine someone davens in the third month. Let the baby be born in such a tough pregnancy. Let the baby be born. Let the baby be born. You don't want the baby to be born then. It's not yet the time. It's premature. And it won't survive. And the redemption can't come before the time. 
a premature birth of redemption will end in a tragic stillbirth, a miscarriage. That's not what we want. The Nechama, says Rav Weinfeld, based on this, the Nechama that's felt after Tisha B'av is about reframing the Golas experience and instilling in ourselves the understanding that just like when a baby is born, everything he is is a consequence of a healthy pregnancy, our avoda in Golas is what creates the Geula. We're in a gestation period. We're forming and forging and we are growing and we're actually making the Geula with our avoda now. And that's the Nechama. Even though, come Tishabav, when we get up on Motzei Tishabav, Mashiach hasn't come yet. He's still not here. And there still may not be a Beis HaMikdash. He's still not here yet. So where's the Nechama? The Nechama is even after the no, I feel closer than I did before to Beis HaMikdash, to Mashiach, to Kla Yisrael, to Achdus, to Avas to Hashem. The Nechama is that even within the no, there's all these yeses of things I learned about myself, of all these new parts of me that I've acquired through this experience and through this and through this process. He goes on, he has more to say about this. I think it's a very, very beautiful idea. Hashem wasn't torturing Moshe by saying, climb up and look out. He was trying to create more of a longing because it would be a belonging through longing. It would be a yes within the no. That was the reason. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu, and how could Moshe Rabbeinu afterwards say, isn't Hashem amazing? He always says yes. He just gave you a big fat no. And you're singing his praises that he always says yes? The answer is, he didn't say yes to the big yes of going into the land, but he said yes to your feeling closer to him and feeling closer to the land. Even when we get a no, and we've had some terrible no's of late, that we are still reeling in pain and don't begin to understand the pain of the people who got that no. But there are yeses that we can look at, having come together as a community, having done one and one, a dollar a day and a minute a day of learning, having come closer to the people who are no longer here, but we think and care and love them more than ever, or we thought we possibly could. There are yeses within the no, and that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was showing appreciation for. Even after 515 no's, there was a yes. And that was a longing through belonging that Hashem gave him by say, climb the mountain one more time. And that's the Nechama that comes on Shabbos Nachamu, that even if we don't get the big yes, the Mashiach's not yet here, but we identify the smaller yeses within those no's. There's a big no that we're out of time. This Parsha is action-packed. We didn't even get to the Yasser Sadibros. We didn't get to Shema via Haft. We didn't get to Vasisa Yashar Vatov. We didn't get to, we didn't to, we, yeah, what we didn't get to is a whole other shear into itself. Wishing everyone a wonderful summer. We'll see you when we're back on August 29th. Until then, catch up old shiurim, old years, listen to other people, but come back afterwards to us too and uh, have a fantastic summer.